Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 7th, 2021, including lots of important people are leaving their jobs, Ubisoft announced a new Battle Royale Ghost Recon game, bad news about Xbox hardware supply chain, and more. Hold the phone. We've got some late breaking news at the start of this week's podcast. That's right. I'll get right into the bulk of it. Mavs man has written in literally in the past 15 minutes to say late breaking news, but everyone make sure you get the chicken sandwich taco at Taco Bell before it is too late. The new item is up for order on the app. It's called the Cantina Crispy Melt Taco. It is not a normal taco shell, and it has melted cheese blend on the bottom inside of the taco. It's pretty damn tasty, but definitely make sure you take Jesse's advice and swap for chicken, not beef. Guys, you hear you heard it from Mazman, you heard it from the Xbox On podcast. What the fuck are you waiting for? Get to it. Get this new fucking menu item now. Before it's all gone, you're gonna you're gonna regret it if you don't. It looks good. It's got some melted gooey something or other kind of cheese in the middle of this taco. You guys gotta get on it now. Get on it while it's hot. We're gonna have to talk about this all next week. So please, don't be an idiot. Don't be a fucking dolt. Don't be some kind of closed-minded asswipe PlayStation Sony fanboy. Go out to your Taco Bell, pull out your smart device, which is hopefully a Windows phone, and order this new cantina taco from taco bell yes the chicken sandwich taco was fine while it lasted but now it's time to move on to bigger and brighter things we cannot let that past hold us back all right with that out of the way welcome to week 122 of the xbox on podcast it is i jesse your podcast xbox relevant host for all your latest news uh, regarding xbox regarding taco bell regarding plugging my twitch channel which reminds me We've got a couple updates, things I want to get to at the top of the show. You know, I've been kind of changing this 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 part of the show lately, where I'm, sometimes I'm talking about news that would otherwise fit in the news not important enough to make the show, but important enough to warn their own discussion, whatever kind of segment. I've been putting a lot of that stuff at the top. Basically, if it's stuff I want to just touch on and have like a quick passerby conversation about, you know, this is like news not important enough to make the show, but important enough to make the show, but not important enough to really warrant an in-depth topical discussion just a quick couple comments and light commentary before we jump into the real news that's what this segment's kind of become but anyway i want to get into a couple of these real fast so grand theft auto trilogy remaster reportedly being referenced in a rockstar launcher update on pc so i just want to say this game we've been hearing about these rumors like crazy for the past few months this Grand Theft Auto 3 Vice City and San Andreas remaster collection for new consoles. This thing is real. It's all but confirmed. And the only frustrating thing is that they won't just fucking announce it and put it out yet. It's like we just have to keep having leak after leak. It's like just just show it at this point, you know. So that is the thing I want to bring up. Now, the most important thing to bring up at the top of the show is something that happened right after right after last week's episode went, went up, which was Xbox at Tokyo Game Show. You might remember I contemplated potentially delaying last week's episode to accommodate this news because Xbox was like, oh, we're going to be there. We got news to talk about. And I'm like, oh, no, what if it, they, what do they actually talk? What if they bought, you know, what if, 
what if Xbox bought Ben and Jerry's and they first for some fucking reason thought the Japanese market was the right market to make that announcement to? And you know, if if I'm not if I'm not there ready for it on day one, I'm going to be an irrelevant asshole. They're going to throw me to the side. No one will ever listen to my podcast. This is a real concern of mine. But I reminded myself last time Xbox said they wanted to talk at Tokyo Game Show, they showed up and talked about Flight Simulator. So it's probably nothing. And glad I didn't delay the show. Glad we didn't end up doing anything like that because it was a whole lot of nothing. But real quick, I will recap the the quote-unquote big announcements from Xbox's Tokyo Game Show presence, which is just the following. They announced cloud game streaming is now coming to Australia, Japan, Mexico, and Brazil. Well, effective now. It started October 1st. So if you live in any of those countries, I any of those countries i know a handful of you guys live in australia and mexico just based off analytics i see we have listeners from those countries but if you live in any of those countries this is actually relevant news to you obviously because now you can test out cloud streaming in your market which is pretty cool and then the next big thing is phil spencer just uh, mentioned that he wants to he wants xbox to increase its japanese game lineup this is Something everyone has been asking for, for or hoping for, for a long time with Xbox within the within the, like the hardcore fan community. This is something people have been speculating about with Xbox forever. This is something Phil Spencer and Xbox have talked about in the past. So I don't understand why this was news. This is more so them just reiterating something they've been talking about forever. So now this was in a in a conversation with Shinji Mikami. So this is actually like you know. You, the guy who made Resident Evil 4 works at, um, of course, the guy who worked on Re- the, basically the father of Resident Evil 4, who worked on the Evil Within series, now at Tango Gameworks, of course, and now own, owned by Xbox. And now Xbox First Party Studio, so that was the relevancy behind that, but I mean, like, come on. Next, Tango Gameworks did announce that they are developing a new game with the Evil Within 2 director leading. The only reason this isn't bigger news, because this is going to be an Xbox exclusive, of course. The only reason why this isn't bigger news is because we kind of already knew this. We already knew Ghostwire Tokyo was basically like one of multiple projects at you know being worked on this team. It was kind of an assumed thing that they weren't just working on Ghostwire Tokyo. So I, I don't find this incredibly interest, incredibly surprising. But I guess this is technically pretty important because it means, hey, there's a new Xbox first party exclusive game down the road. So, yeah, that that makes sense. And then the biggest news, in my opinion, or the biggest news to me, at least, was that Scarlet Nexus, the game that just came out over the summer from Bandai Namco, the guys that make the Tales series, their new game, Scarlet Nexus, is headed to Game Pass. At the time you're listening to this, it is already on Game Pass. Um, So that's actually a really huge get. It's a pretty brand new game. Actually makes me feel slightly burned because I just bought the fucking game like three months ago and it came out. But I'm not too upset about it because I was glad to support that game financially because I thought it was a fantastic game. Clearly didn't do crazy well. I think it did all right, but um, I'm glad that's now available on Game Pass where more and more people can play it. Guys, this is your one and only warning. If you have a Game Pass subscriber, which should be all of you because this is an Xbox podcast, play Scarlet Nexus. If you don't play Scarlet Nexus, I will remember, call back to a long time ago. I have each and every one of your social security cards, numbers rather. I don't have your cards. I'm not going to lie. I don't have your cards. I do have your numbers. And I am not afraid to start using those to my advantage. So play Scarlet Nexus or have your identity compromised. The choice is yours, but you know. Next, they also announced uh, Redfall, Starfield, and more will be localized for Japan. This is actually pretty cool news. While not necessarily earth shattering for all of us, English-only speakers, or, you know, I'm sure some of you, or many of you speak other languages. I'm an English-only speaker. While this might not be super exciting for people like us, this is really exciting overall, especially for the Japanese market, because 
just makes these games a lot more accessible and a lot more friendly to that market. And more important in the broader, well, maybe not more important, but in the broader scope, you know, to the benefit of all of us, the more Xbox is willing to do things like localize their games for that market, the the more likely that market will be to adopt Xbox as a brand. So these are the kinds of quality of life, care, and consideration moves that over time will actually make a difference in trying to trying to gain a foothold in the Japanese market. So that's good news. And then uh, yeah, that was that was that was it. Oh, Eternal Return got a release date in a trailer for October nineteenth. But yeah, that, I mean that that was it. It was like there was nothing again, nothing big. There was no oh Xbox acquired California Pizza Kitchen and will be doing an exclusive Gamer Fuel flavor frozen pizza sold exclusively at Japanese supermarkets. Uh, look for it this this holiday season. Nope, none of that. It was just Xbox is a thing that exists in Japan, doesn't do so well, but they hope one day it does better. That was more or less the gist of what happened there. So I wanted to put that out there. Then next up, something I want to talk about is the Battlefield 2042 beta schedule. So this weekend, actually right now if you've pre-ordered the game, but this weekend, Battlefield 2042 will be available for all to download and play for a beta weekend. So if you're on PC, Xbox, what have you, you should go ahead and download this, check it out. It'll be a free, fun weekend. We'll probably stream it. I'll probably stream it on Saturday, early Saturday afternoon or sometime Sunday. But I definitely want to get a stream in of this because I'm excited to play Battlefield 2042, mostly because I absolutely know that this is going to be like every other Battlefield and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it and be excited for it and then realize oh yeah I'm not good at Battlefield and it's not my game and then I'm gonna get frustrated and quit and never play it again. So I'm hoping I can get all of that out from the beta so that I don't have to end up wasting seventy dollars on a game that's just not for me. But I can't help I can't help it. I'm excited for Battlefield 2042 even though I know this song and dance. I've done it a million times. I know Battlefield just isn't my game. It doesn't ever work for me. It's not my thing. But here I am again, falling down the same fucking rabbit hole, making the same mistake again. But I am excited to play this, this um, beta. It is available. Technically, it's available as of now. Like I said, if you've pre-ordered it, it should be available from October eighth through the October eighth through the tenth. So if you are interested in trying that, go ahead, give it a download. I mean, yeah. So that's that's a pretty big one. I know a lot of this audience is really excited for that game. So I think you know, especially hot off the heels of Halo Halo Infinite's betas, beta tests, and all that. This is pretty exciting for a lot of people I know. And then, uh, yeah, two two quick ones here. Konami apologizes for their new eFootball game's disastrous launch, promised to improve the game later. So this is Konami. Their new like FIFA competitor is a free-to-play soccer game that's actually based off the mobile variant of the game, like the iOS Android variant of the game, but it's also available on consoles. Uh, there was already a lot of hatred and controversy surrounding this game leading up to its launch, and then it launched in a disastrous state, and Konami did this simple, oh, we're sorry it's broken, we'll make it better over time. I think this is becoming a huge issue in the games industry, where we see a lot of this, like, you knew better, like, don't, don't fucking say sorry after the fact, you knew what you were doing, you knew this game wasn't ready for prime time, and you and yet you still put it out there for the world to play, so I, I'm getting tired of this shit, I just want to call... Want to call Konami out on their bullshit a little bit. They're doing a, a No Man's Sky, a Cyberpunk, one of those like, oops, sorry your game's broken. I guess we'll work really hard to earn the trust and respect of our players back. Oopsie, sorry. And it's more because they wanted to have this project out the door in time to really compete with the likes of the newest FIFA. And that's just 
fucked up because you're wasting people's time. The good thing is this is a free-to-play game, so at the very least, they're not wasting people's money because people aren't buying this game, although there are in-app purchases, of course. But, you know, hopefully people people are seeing how bad this is and aren't spending money in it. But I'm, I'm really tired of this happening. just want to bring this to light. Just say a casual fuck you to Konami. Um, this stuff is, you know, very much known internally before these games come out. There's no way in hell Konami didn't know this game was having severe issues, yet they put it out anyway. So take responsibility for being assholes and hold these people accountable when they do these kinds of things because this is not cool. Don't play this game until it's fixed. That's, that's all I got to say to that. And then lastly, GamesIndustry.biz reports, and I, this is just a sad one, but I want to put it out there just out of respect. Former CEO Starbreeze Studios, uh, Michael Nermark, has died. The 50-year-old was diagnosed with cancer last year, said Liquid Swords founder Chris- Christopher Sundberg in a LinkedIn post announcing the news of Nermark's passing. The quote said, On behalf of Michael's family, it is with a very he- heavy heart that we let you know that Michael has passed away due to cancer. Sundberg wrote, he was a great husband, great father, great friend, great professional, and he will always live on in our hearts. I just thought that was... I just want to put that out there, you know, the well wishes to his fam- family and loved ones. That's obviously just very, very sad. And obviously Starbreeze is a is a, a studio that now has a close tie to Xbox. When you think about it, Starbreeze, of course, the guys behind uh, Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay, Payday 2, The um, the Darkness, all those kinds of games. Because a lot of the core talent that worked at that studio uh, spun off, I guess, around a decade ago now to form Machine Games, which, of course owned by Bethesda, which is, of course, owned by Xbox. So the guys that ultimately went on to make the new excellent Wolfenstein games we all love and enjoy today, a lot of those guys got their feet wet in their in, in their starting back at Starbreeze back in the day. So definitely a studio that has some ties, especially nowadays, to Xbox. And, but more important than that, of course, just uh, really, really sad news. I uh, just want to kind of pay respects and, and just put that out there. Big thoughts and, and, and love to the friends and family of uh, of michael so with all that out of the way you guys all the sad news all the berating of konami and things like that let's let's jump into what really what we're really all here for right which is the comments the shout outs from youtube you know how it works guys you think i got something on my mind i want to say something stupid to jesse well you go over youtube.com you look up uh, actually you, you don't even have to go youtube.com directly you can you can you can go straight to my channel you can go youtube.com slash c slash xbox on podcast enter boom you're right there at my channel click on the latest uh, episode of the podcast don't don't get cute don't go four episodes back because guess what i'm not living a month in the past i'm not looking at your stupid comment you leave it on the latest episode like a normal human being and you say something really nice like jesse i appreciate that you're like this close to beating psychonauts 2 and that's really what you want to be doing tonight but here you are recording the podcast talking to us about stupid shit like the new taco bell menu item i appreciate it want to let you know this is a podcast I listen to as a dildo quality inspector. This is a, a show I love to listen to late at night when I'm working, testing out each and every dildo that comes off the production line to ensure quality, and your show helps me get through those long shifts. Thank you so much, and I'll say that is so kind of you. I appreciate I, I appreciate those kind words. You keep fucking those dildos, and thank you for supporting the show. Or you can say something mean like, Jesse, I don't even know what Xbox is, but I saw the thumbnail of this video and thought you looked stupid. So I thought I would just click on it so I could leave a comment and let you know 
I think you're stupid. And I would say, that's a really mean comment, but here we are reading it anyway. So with that out of the way, our first comment comes from one Mr. Compassionate Choice who says, looking forward to Xbox Exxon mobile exclusive games. Damn right. All right, milk and cereal, real Xbox topic. EA's King 117 writes in and says, Jesse, when you eat cereal, do you put your milk first or the cereal? Me personally, I put the cereal first. Here's why. Milk is the sauce for cereal. Cereal can be eaten without milk. Those were my reasons. EA's King, I'm here to tell you that you actually could have cut this comment down in half and still sounded like a rational, sane human being because much like I don't need to get up here and defend why I hate ketchup, you don't need to get up here and defend why you put cereal before milk. That is the default. That is the sane. That is the status quo, regular, normal, healthy mentally healthy way to make a bowl of cereal. You put the cereal first, then the milk, then the bowl. Duh, everyone knows that. But if you put the if you put the milk first and then the cereal, that's because either one, you're like uh you're like some uh, sitcom show that just does that to piss off the audience, or two, you are legitimately a psychopath. So yeah, of course you did the right thing there. And I think 99, like this is, this is one of those things I would open the floor to the audience and ask, all right, guys, are we putting the cereal first or the milk first? And I, the, the problem is I don't want to do that because I know overwhelmingly 99% of people are going to say, oh yeah, cereal, then milk, you know, maybe lethal migraine puts, puts the, the milk, then the cereal, maybe, but you know, 99% of people are going to say cereal, the milk. So it's like, it's not even a question. That is of course the default position, but yes, I do want to emphasize, of course, pour the cereal. You put the milk on top of the cereal, and then you try to catch it all in your bowl. That's the final step, is you try to you try to take your bowl and, and catch it all and put it in there afterwards. Of course, that is the regular default way to make a bowl of cereal. Now, speaking of Xbox, we got a comment from my brother who says, I don't get the Mario movie cast complaints. They picked a good cast of actors, and if they had people up there doing cringy, fake Italian accents, the movie would be deemed problematic because it would hurt the brand. It's 2021. I don't want to see Mario canceled. Fair enough. No one wants to see a white guy try to do an Italian accent because, of course, that is racist. But... Here, I think, so I can't speak for everyone else because it seemed like unanimously everyone wanted to laugh about how bad the casting was, myself included. But for me, I can I can boil it down to something else. Maybe this is what where other people are kind of coming from. Maybe not. But for myself, the reason why it's so funny is because, listen, I get why they do it. Charlie Day is a funny actor. There are, like, Charlie Day, what's he best known for? Well, he's best known, what, the horrible, was he in Horrible Bosses? Is that what he's from? Anyway, I know him best from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm sure most people know him best from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Chris Pratt, what do people know him for? They know him as Star-Lord. They know him as from Parks and Recreation. They know him from Jurassic World. Okay, cool. Think about these kinds of characters like that. Like, where, like, who are the kinds of people who are most likely to not only be familiar with these actors, but also really admire these actors? Well, of course... It's people who watch shows and movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, Parks and Recreation, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's like a lot of like 25-year-old, 35-year-old, scruffy, bearded men who are probably slightly overweight and keep telling themselves every January 1st that this is the year where they're going to reduce the amount of hours they play Fortnite and increase the amount of hours that they're pumping iron. And guess what? December 31st rolls around and the scale ain't move a bit. Guess what? That's the people who know who these actors are and who watch these movies and TV shows and who also watch the Mario movie because this stuff is strategically done. It's like, okay, how can we make a Mario movie that's going to pull people out to the theater? It's like, okay, well, you know, we'll get those 
like young adult guys who may be like first time parents, you know, they have young kids and this will be a good way for them to come out to the movie because they'll be like, oh, well, you know, my kid will want to watch Mario and I'll want to watch Charlie Day be funny being Charlie Day and that way we'll all be happy. You know, Seth Rogen. Why do people know Seth Rogen? Because he smokes pot and has an obnoxious laugh and is in every, every comedy movie that isn't actually funny. And so again, a bunch of 35 year old dudes who like to smoke pot are going to be like, oh my God, I love Seth Rogen, I love when he makes the joke about the penis, and then we all laugh because for some reason we all laugh like freshmen in high school. And so it's very strategically done in a way that's just so genuine, so uniquely Hollywood. That's like, we don't have to make a good movie because we're just going to do the bare minimum. We're going to pull the adult audience in with the famous people that they like, and we're going to pull the kids in because it's Mario, you're a stupid kid, and you like Mario, don't you? And that's what I fucking hate. It's like, this is just so endemic of how movies are how movies are marketed. It doesn't... I don't give a shit who voices Mario. I really don't. I think you could do this movie great and have it be silent, where none of the characters talk, and they just go... You know, just like the video games, where like they go, wahoo, and like, oh, 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 but no one can actually speak. I, would, I think that'd be great. I think you can make a really good Mario movie like that. But also, you can make a really good Mario movie where they, they do talk. That's fine. But the thing is, this is like, we're not going to show you the trailer. We're not going to give you a taste of what this movie is actually like. We're just going to get you hyped up with actors' names. Because now, mom and dad are slightly less hesitant to go see the Mario movie. Because, oh, well, it's got the guy from Sunny in Philadelphia, and he's funny. You know, I like to watch him when I get home from work and drink a glass of wine because I hate my day job and I just want to unwind after a 10-hour shift of a job that makes me want to blow my brains out. It's like, it's that thing. It's just, it's just this low common denominator of like, we don't have to put effort into what we're doing because the actors are going to sell it. And it's like, Mario deserves better than that. Like, I listen, I know this is an Xbox podcast, right? And a lot of people out here, this audience is split. From what I see anecdotally, it seems like we got an audience of people who are more like me, where they're like, I love Xbox the best, it's my favorite, so I, I prefer, but I love all games. I like Nintendo, I like PlayStation, I like PC, I like it all. And then we got some people in this audience who are really like, Xbox or die. Like, if you say a nice thing about Nintendo or PlayStation, I will unsubscribe and troll you for the rest of your life. I get that. But, like, let, let, let's give Nintendo some credit here. Mario, without a doubt, and this is a tired comparison, but it is true. Mario is, to video games, what Mickey Mouse is, to like American pop culture, cartoons, like Americana. It's just, it's that level of iconicism. Mario is such an important character, such an important property. And when it comes to gaming, Mario is still to this day, the very best when it comes to just high quality, accessible, easy to pick up and play, fun for everyone video games. And so I think Mario deserves a movie of that, of that caliber. Mario deserves a movie that is like, above the a cut above the rest super super high quality enjoyable for everyone incredibly good at what it does groundbreaking kind of a spirit a, a, a kind of a pioneer in, in in its own thing and it's like i just if you're gonna try to make a movie about potentially the most important franchise in gaming history then you should put 110 percent into it you shouldn't do the thing you do with every movie which is just like how can we pull parents to the theaters so they can see get their kids to see because the movie's for kids but the cast is for adults the cast is the carrot on the stick to get mom and dad to take their stupid little fucking kids to the movie theater to watch the Mario movie. And I'm so tired of that. It's like, they're not selling it because the movie looks good, because the movie looks funny, because the story is good, because the script is good, because the animation is stunning. That's not why they're trying to sell the movie. That's not how they're trying to sell the movie, because that's not how they're marketing it to us. They're trying to sell the movie because it has the funny actors you like. You target demographic, don't you get it? 
Don't you get? We we strategically picked the funny guy, Keegan. Uh, what was his name? Ke- uh, Keegan Peel or whatever from fucking Keegan Peel. It's like you love Comedy Central, don't you? Okay, of course you do. Now you like the Mario movie. It's just so. And listen, there's a maybe I'm maybe I'm totally misreading this, right? It's also the well, yeah, maybe it's not even just about the kids. Maybe it's just about that adult market. It's like, hey, you grew up loving Mario, and and you grew up watching stupid Comedy Central, and now you want all this shit crammed in together. Here you go. Here's a Mario movie. It's just it's just lazy and it's tired. And it maybe maybe I'm completely off base and wrong about all this. That's totally fine. I'm willing to be wrong in this case. But when you start the marketing cycle for this movie by being like. Here's the cast for the Mario movie. It's a bunch of fucking people from Hollywood that are in literally every other movie and TV show and have literally no connection to this video game whatsoever ever and probably don't give a shit about being in a Mario movie. Here you go. I'm like, cool. It sounds like you're really taking care of this property we all love very, very much. So that's why it's fun to make fun of. It's because it's just like, it's so laughable. It's like, you know, when they announced the Mario movie... Everyone's react. No one's reaction to the announcement of the Mario movie was, "Oh, this is going to be great." Everyone's reaction was like, "Oh no, please, not another one of these." You know, it's like everyone is more apprehensive than they are excited about an announcement like this. So when the first time you have substantial news is like, "Yeah, that animation studio that's making this movie that no one even likes to begin with got really key talent, like the guy from," and like I like these actors. Don't even get me wrong. Like I like literally the entire cast. Or at least the ones I recognize. I like all of these actors. I think they all—they are all good actors. They're all from TV shows or movies that I even like. But again, it's like I don't think Mario should be boiled down to this whole like we're gonna get you to the theater because we got the A-list celebrities you like. We got the funny guys that you like. So don't worry. You might be thinking, how the fuck are they going to do a Mario movie? It's like, well, here's how. They're going to make the same fucking tired movie that Hollywood's been making over and over again for the past. I don't know. Basically. I don't. I don't even know what movie to to blame this on. Is it is it Marvel that did this? Like, and and again, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Marvel. I like Marvel movies just fine. But like, Marvel movies started this thing where, like, mainstream blockbuster summer hit whatever movies are all just so formulaic with the not with the story, but with how you how you make the movie appealing to a wide audience. It's like step one: don't take yourself too seriously. Step two: be very, very humorous, so that the suspension of disbelief is easier for the audience because they're laughing so much that they don't take anything too serious, which kind of lets their guard down, so that when it's time to get serious, they can get serious. Does that make sense? Like DC movies are so dark and grim that when they try to be serious, it comes off as like campy and cringy. Whereas like Marvel movies are so humorous that when it t- comes time to be serious, it's almost like. Oh, okay, okay, now we're getting serious, okay, I'm, I'm in for the ride, you guys have warmed me up so much with your comedy, and with so much with your likable, funny characters, that now I'm ready to, like, sit up in my seat and focus on the real action, so I feel like that's kind of, like, the, the start of this, but we see it in everything, it's like Lego Movie, it's like, how did, Lego Movie was a good movie, it was a fun movie, how did it work? Well, we got the funny actors and lots of comedy writing to make the movie really funny for adults, and then kids enjoyed it because it's a Lego movie, it's just... I feel like every movie is made like this now, and it's I just I just don't want to see that Hollywood formula like slapped onto Mario. I'm not like this. This still has the potential to be an absolutely like without a doubt, ten out of ten standard Hollywood, com like family movie. You know, this could be just as good, just as entertaining, just as fun as everything else Hollywood shits out these days. You ever notice how like there are very few bad movies that come out nowadays? It's because everything is so safe and formulaic and they just they follow the recipe just so that it's like you're kind of getting the same fucking movie every time you go to the theater 
but now it's the Mario version, or now it's the Spider-Man version, or now it's the um, Mortal Kombat version. I don't fucking know what movie you're going to see, but I, I guess that's my initial complaint. That's why I want to laugh about it. Also, if you want to just boil it down to something really simple and fun and, and not overanalyze the hell out of this, there's nothing more fun than watching Shigeru Miyamoto just be like, Chris Pl- <laughs> Mario will be played by Chris Pratt. He is so cool. I mean, that's pretty fucking funny in and of itself. I think just watching that kind of like goofy Japanese kind of reaction or, or announcement and just interpreting it as a Westerner is just, I don't know, it's fucking funny. So I don't even know why I spend that much time talking about that. I, don't, I really don't care that much. I'm definitely going to see the Mario movie and it's almost definitely going to be fine. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Halo Infinite. That's a game that's actually for Xbox. Mr. Miggy writes it in and says, I swear I wasn't trying... Oh, no, no, we're going to skip that. I played only a little bit of the Halo Infinite test flight this weekend, but I was happy with what I did play. The lobbies weren't stuttering for me anymore, and I had no issues using the controller. Cat emoji. Well, that's good to hear. I, I, So we'll get into it more with the, what I've been playing, but I also heard that things were controlling, aiming, feeling a lot better this week than they did last week, so that seems to be a reoccurring theme. Now, EA's King also writes in and says... Halo Infinite Big Team Battle, by the way, is great, but kind of laggy, and the Banshee doesn't have rolling features. So that is completely opposite of what Mr. Miggy is saying here. So very interesting. We will get back to this conversation when we get to the what I've been playing. But I will say this much. Big Team Battle looks like it was a big fucking success. People were super hyped on it. People really loved what they played. And I'm really, really thrilled to just see the Halo community and the gaming community in general just be... Happy about Halo, out there playing Halo, enjoying Halo, sharing their fun, wacky Halo clips on the internet, and just overall seeing people have a good time. It's, it's really nice. It's a really fresh, refreshing kind of take uh, for a franchise that I love so much that's just been, you know, so hit or miss with audiences for a while now. So, the Game Awards. Corey Long writes in and says, The Game Awards are coming up soon. Do you have any speculations? Anything you're looking forward to? Also, I need to know more about Starfield. Fingers crossed. Well, Corey, yes. So the Game Awards were announced for this December, I think December 9th this year. Uh, it's always December. It's always early December, the first or second week. But um, yeah, so the Game Awards are coming back this year. Uh, I don't have any specific speculations. It's it's too soon. Uh, I, I don't even want to think. There's so many game events and all these things that, like, it hurts my brain to think about them long term. It's like, whatever. I'll, I'll start thinking about the Game Awards on, like, December 5th, you know, when we're just a few days away. But what do I think, like, are, will there be any big announcements? Absolutely. The Game Awards has slowly, over the past few years, become, maybe quickly, become, like, E3 Part 2. Like, the Game Awards is more like E3 these days than Gamescom is. It's just, it's a big deal. And Xbox, in particular, really likes to take the Game Awards seriously. Remember, Xbox Series X was announced at the Game Awards, so it is very, very likely. Last year, we had Perfect Dark at the Game Awards, so it is very, very likely that we get a pretty nice-sized Xbox announcement this year at the Game Awards. I don't know what that might be, but if history uh, is is an indicator, it will likely be a new announcement. It probably won't be an update on Starfield. It probably won't be a first look at Fable. It will probably be a new announcement. Although I guess, I don't know, we knew Perfect Dark was coming from the initiative, so... Or did we? No, that was when they confirmed it. So yeah, so yeah, this could be... Um, I, I, would ex- I would expect definitely something big from Xbox, but probably not something you already knew. It's probably going to be, unless it's something that leaks beforehand, it's probably going to be something that we haven't heard of already. But I am looking forward to it when we get closer to that. Yeah, I think the Game Awards is like the day after Halo Infinite comes out, so that's going to be crazy. All right, consolidations and acquisitions. 
So Sweaty Bandito writes in and says, Xbox should just consolidate what they have. Yes, they've released Flight Sim and Psychonauts with, uh, with, uh, with Forza, Age of Empires 4, and Halo still to come this year. But they need to get more games out the door. But if they ha- but if I had a the Microsoft credit card, I'd buy Square, Enix or Square Enix's Western Division so we could get more Tomb Raider. Thief, Deus Ex, the actual greatest of all time. You get the nostalgia, the stealth action, and the immersive sim. Sweaty Bandito, I love you. You were one of my favorite commenters. Don't tell the others I said that. But, uh, man, I can't, I, I don't think I could disagree any further with what you're saying here. I, I agree they need to get more games out of a faster clip, not because I think Xbox has a lack of first party content. I think, if anything, Xbox is quickly getting into the territory of there are too many games I cannot keep up as I sit here literally patting my Xbox Series X and looking at it like uh, like my son. But anyway, they are definitely getting there. I think they're absolutely... Phil Spencer has gone on record and said that the intention is to more or less have about a big... Like, one big release every quarter. So that would be, like, every every three every three three and a half months every three months you would get a big xbox first party release through game pass um whether that be a forza a halo a psychonauts you know a starfield whatever what have you right i think they already have enough studios and enough second party relations and all these kinds of things to where that is absolutely achievable right now it is not about buying it's not about opening the wallet again and buying more teams it is about hunkering down and looking at this massive, massive horde of teams they now own and figuring out how do we produce, how do we how do we manage this portfolio in a way that is effective and in a way that is like effective and, and productive so that we can get a steady clip of launches rather than you know, it's like if Xbox just focuses on buying more shit and not on the shit they've already bought in. What we're going to have is a problem of Halo Infinite times a million, which is you're just going to have all these games that are constantly getting delayed, that are constantly in development hell, that are constantly over budget, that are just big time and money sinks for Xbox and for Microsoft because they don't have the appropriate producers and the appropriate management surrounding the game to really get it built in a reasonable time frame for a reasonable budget. You don't want that to become the norm. You want to get to a point where you're so on top of your teams, you're so on top of your portfolio that you know what everyone's working on, you know what the timelines look like, you know what decisions need to be made, what things need to be cut, what things need to be uh, beefed up, which things need more staffing here, more time there, a little touch up here, could use this extra thing to help speed up this process. You need to know the ins and outs of your company so well that you can have them working at maximum efficiency. And just so you know, that is Phil Spencer's job. That is what Phil Spencer is here to do. Phil Spencer's job, more than come out and make all the Xbox Xbox out there go, fuck you, PlayStation, we have the games, you don't suck our dicks. No, his real job, more than anything, is to manage this massive portfolio that has just grown exponentially overnight over at Team Xbox and manage them in a way to where they are efficiently and effectively making great games at, you know, a cost that is reasonable for considering what they're making and in a time frame that is reasonable for the amount of money they're spending. This is all the real crux of his job. So at the end of the day, Xbox is getting a consistent steady stream of great games that aren't costing Xbox such such a massive amount of money that it's just a huge money sink for them. So I would like to personally see Xbox say, okay, we've gotten really big, really fast in, in recent history, and now it's time to just kind of back off quite off and really focus and hone in on making these studios the best they can be because I, I think 
the more and more Microsoft acquires, especially when it comes to like big teams, I'm not talking about small acquisitions like getting Undead Labs. I'm talking about big acquisitions like buying Square Enix's Western division. I think the next time they do that, it's going to go from like, whoa, that's so cool. They bought Bethesda to like, hey, that's kind of fucking annoying. Now I don't get these Square Enix games on my PlayStation. Hey, that's kind of fucking annoying. Now I don't get these Sega games on my PlayStation. If they keep this up, it, the script, the conversation, the perception of Xbox is going to change so hard, so fast. And you're going to see it go from Xbox is such a goodwill company. Xbox is doing so much to make their fans happy. Xbox is doing all the right things to get all the best games on their platform. It's going to go from that to Xbox kind of sucks. They can't come up with their own games. So they're just buying all the other talent and they're just taking shit from other people. And while I don't really agree with either of those 100%, I'm kind of more inclined to agree with the latter if they keep up with this buy big all the time constantly because I listen Bethesda I think made sense it is undoubtedly the coolest biggest news story to come out of the games industry in many years it is fucking absurd that this happened it is crazy a year later it is still sometimes hard to just take it all in that Xbox just went and bought Bethesda and now Bethesda is part of Xbox it's fucking crazy it is absolutely crazy but I think if they keep this up you know this like the one that gets the drive Activision and EA are a joke. You know, people talk about those ones. That's never happening. They're never buying at EA. That's just not happening. But like this idea of like Xbox getting 2K, like, do you know how much that fucking sucks? Like that would suck. That would absolutely suck if Xbox was like, yeah, we bought the publisher that that owns the studio that makes uh, Grand Theft Auto. Like that fucking sucks, man. You're not making cool games for Xbox. You're just stealing shit from other people and putting it on your console alone so that your console is by default the better console. Like, that just, that fucking sucks, man. Like, imagine if, like, imagine if, like, apps on phones work that way. We've, we've seen things like that. Like, when Instagram first came out, it was famously only available on iPhone for a long time. It wasn't available on Android. There was no mobile or uh, desktop version of it. It was an iPhone-specific platform back in the day. And that sucks, man. Can you imagine if today in 2021, you still couldn't use Instagram on your Android phone and you still couldn't use Instagram on your on your PC? And meanwhile, every time you go on like Twitter, you just see a bunch of iPhone people like, Instagram's the best, fuck you, everyone else. It's like, that fucking sucks. No one thinks that's cool. No, literally no one wants that. So I am all for team Xbox. Stop fucking buying all the big talent that has a long-standing history on making games for all platforms. I think Bethesda was a smart one. It was a savvy one. It was a very calculated one. It was definitely the one big publisher they could buy and get away with, I think, because of that history there. Because Bethesda's history is with PC and Xbox. And basically, every time they've ever made a game for a PlayStation console, it's been a piece of shit. With the exception of, like, the millionth Skyrim port that came to PS4. You know, like, remember Skyrim? It, it ran like shit on PS3. Fallout games ran like shit on PS3. Oblivion didn't even come to PS3 until like the end of the console cycle. Bethesda and PlayStation don't have history together. Xbox and Bethesda have history together. PC and, and Bethesda obviously have history together. And PC games are run on Windows, which is Microsoft. So I think there's a whole stretch you can do there. There's a whole conversation to be had. I think that one makes sense. I think people are excited about that. As a one-off type thing, it is cool. But continuing to do this is a slippery slope. And I think it just makes gaming a lot less fun for absolutely everyone. I'm not going to enjoy... Tomb Raider more if it means this is a Tomb Raider game you would have gotten anyway, but now PlayStation players don't get it for some fucking reason, even though they've always had Tomb Raider, and you get it because Xbox had the money to make that the case. I, I don't know. I love you, Sweaty Bandito. I don't mean to come at you. That's I, definitely not my intention. I just this is this is probably the thing I think about the most in the Xbox fan community that kind of gets me like a little 
Like that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Is like just constantly seeing this like celebration and excitement around like bye bye bye. I'm like no man. If if Xbox does another studio, you know what I would like to see? I would like to see something like the initiative. I want to see you make a new studio, go form a new studio, or do what Sony's doing: buy a studio that's small or kind of background or tertiary, and build something with them. You know, don't don't just go out there and be like, yeah, you know the guys that make um. The 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 Witcher, yeah, we bought CD Projekt Red. It's like that. That's just stupid, man. That's like you're just taking the fun out of it for everyone, I guess. Except the diehard Xbox fanboys at that point. Uh, anyway, speaking of consolidations and acquisitions, El Pardon El Pardo writes in and says, "I think with Perfect Dark, similar to your rope puzzle analogy with The Last of Us Part Two, the thing that springs to mind is horse balls, specifically those in Red Dead Redemption Two. My first impression with that game was." No, what was wow, someone spent a lot of time making this horse's nuts as realistic looking as possible. Does a team of like 70 people at the initiative have the resources to do that without outside help? So a team like Crystal and uh, that produce quality games being on board isn't that isn't a bad thing. It's just a question of if it was always the initiative's intention to partner with an outside studio or if their hand was forced to to do this because they couldn't hire the resources. I don't know if the gaming, I don't work in gaming, but my industry does have similar projects, project-led working where we use outside resources to come in and help us through busy periods. Oh, and on tacos, you're 100% correct. The soft shell kind are far superior, although I was led to believe that was the authentic Mexican kind and that fried hard shells was more of a Tex-Mex thing. Yes, okay, real quick, to clarify, I wasn't talking about soft versus hard, I was talking about corn versus flour. So yes, flour tortina, tortillas are seen as like the, the gringo Tex-Mex thing, whereas corn tortillas are like the authentic, legit Mexican thing. That's that's more what I meant. Now, hard versus soft shell, I think that whole concept of hard versus soft is basically a, a Tex-Mex concept in and of itself, but nonetheless, glad we clarified that. Now, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta admit here, El Pardo, I, I made a little bit of a stupid point here last week, and I think you've brought that to light because you're absolutely right. It makes no fucking sense for me to be talking about the initiative being the team that's supposed to make, you know, the next-gen, boundary-pushing, amazing quadruple-A game like Red Dead Redemption 2 with their horse balls or like The Last of Us Part 2 with its amazing rope physics. It doesn't make sense for me to have an expectation of the initiative to be that team when you're right. They are a relatively medium-sized developer of like 70-plus people. So to think that they have always had this intention of we will bring on additional help on a you know project by project basis on a need be, on a need be basis makes perfect sense absolutely and i think i was just kind of missing pieces of the conversation as i was talking in in patches last week about this story so i want to i want to point that out that hypocrisy out in myself and say thank you for kind of bringing that to light but also i i guess the reason why my mind even goes there to begin with is again because they really build this studio as the big from the ground up next huge in-house team for Xbox. And when you say that, I can't help but think this is going to be your Naughty Dog. This is going to be your Sony Santa Monica. This is going to be your Rockstar, whatever. Because I mean, well, Xbox already has that, right? That's what the that's what 343 is supposed to be. That's what the initiative is supposed to be, right? Sure. But like let's be honest. Like the whole wasn't the whole point of the initiative to have another one of those teams. And I guess I guess that's where I'm kind of hung up. Now, I will say I don't think you have to be a game with something like that 
to be the, you know, the, the most groundbreaking game. Listen, there've always been like, there's since the PS3, um, Xbox, Xbox 360 generation, there's always been this like diametric opposition of like what PlayStation does versus what Xbox does. Because you look at the PS3, what were the best games of that console? It was like infamous and the uncharted and the last of us. And these were very cinematic, very story driven, very mature games compared to like what Xbox had. I mean, mature in terms of like themes, not in terms of like gore and guts. Then you look at Xbox. It's like, well, what were the big games on Xbox? It was like Halo three and gears of war and stuff. And I don't know. I'll always make the argument that gears and Halo have some mature storytelling, but people look at games like Halo and gears of war more for their multiplayer merits and more for their like fun with friends kind of attitude and angle and less so the way they look at like Uncharted and The Last of Us, which is like, wow, that's like a movie in a video game. So emotional, so impactful. So yeah, maybe, maybe if anything, what I'm doing is just putting Xbox in a box, no pun intended, uh, because like, look at, look at all the hype surrounding Halo Infinite right now with people getting their hands on the beta and really loving it. And all these stupid fucking arguments you see on Twitter about like fruit physics and tire physics in the game. It's like, well, maybe that's Xbox's kind of specialty. It, it isn't about focusing on the, we have ultra realistic fruit or we have super realistic horse testicles in our game. Maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's, maybe Xbox is leaning into the thing that they've always been best at, which is like, no, no, no. We have really fucking fun games that are like really fucking fun to play. Like you think about Halo, it's like no one loves Halo because, oh my God, it's just so realistic. The physics are just so realistic. People love Halo because it's like, Oh my God, there's just no game like it. It is just so much fun. It is so addicting. It is so fun to hop on with friends and make some of the best memories you'll ever make on a video game because this stupid fucking thing happened and someone tried this out and this really funny outcome happened and then you took a clip and you shared it with your friends and you went to theater mode and you cut it up and you machinimaed it because it's Halo. It's a fun game. It's a social game. It's a fucking... It is a, it is a game where people make personal, unique stories in the multiplayer suite, in the Forge suite, through the co-op campaign and because you know that's kind of xbox's specialty you think about gears of war it's like well people love it because they love playing those awesome co campaigns with their buddies in co-op they love playing the multiplayer with their friends it's like that's kind of, you know if anything you know i talk about xbox missing the the hollywood level horseball kind of triple a game but i don't know sony's missing the triple a multiplayer game that's like endlessly fun with friends and an instant classic like Halo 3 or like what Halo Infinite looks to be shaping up like. So yeah, maybe I just, I can't help but fixate on that a little bit because Phil Spencer has expressed his interest in wanting games like that. And Xbox fans have long expressed the fact that Xbox somewhat lacks that kind of game. And I personally feel like Xbox needs that kind of game. I don't want Xbox to have it to the extent where Sony does, where it's almost all they fucking make is that type of game. But I'd, I'd like to see them have a game or two like that, you know? So, I don't know. I think I think there's a little hypocrisy in my words from last week. I do appreciate your perspective, El Pardo. And then uh, let's wrap it up with a couple quick comments here. Two or two or three more. Two more. Three more. Discord video podcasts. Let's get some takes. Way of the Lao, a beautiful soul, writes in and says, Hello. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you had a great trip home. I did. Thank you. I was curious if you if you started hating America around the time you knew you hated ketchup. No, lol, JK. All joking aside, I was curious if you had started one or thought about a Discord for the podcast as we can all communicate in and you can give us quick updates because Twitter sometimes. We could also all get together and form groups to game. We'll take care and keep up the good work. Well, take care and keep up the good work. Also, do you think that you could possibly do a 
video episode of the podcast. Okay, lots of good stuff here. First of all, thank you. I had a great trip back home with my family. Second of all, I don't hate America. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm very critical of America. I have many, many criticisms of of this country, as I do with every single country I'm even cursorily aware of. Uh, but I, I don't hate America. I, I quite love my country. I, I'm I'm very blessed and very privileged to get to be from here and get to live here. I'm, I I recognize that. I think I think there is more. I think it is more of a blessing to get to be from and live in America than than it is uh, a curse or or a bad thing. So no, no, no. I'm I don't hate America. I do hate ketchup though. I do fucking hope. I hope ketchup dies. I literally hope whoever is at the source of ketchup destroys the ketchup and then ketchup is no more. I hope next time you go to the grocery store, it's like ranch, mayonnaise, mustard, no ketchup. Fuck. I'll take that fucking vinegar before I take ketchup, you ass. Anyway, all seriousness. Now, we, we I talked about a Discord uh, for the podcast uh, about a month ago or so. And I said, if we can get to... What I say? I think I said a hundred followers on Twitch, a thousand followers on the Xbox on YouTube page, which we're only like 150 away from. And I think I said a hundred or fifty. It was fifty or a hundred uh, subscribers on the Lightning Extreme YouTube page. But then I stopped promoting that because I was like, you know what? I already asked a lot of these people recently. We're just gonna kind of drop that and leave it alone for now. The thing is, I don't know much about Discord. I need to do some more research and get more familiar with what it means for me to make a Discord and manage one, you know? This audience is still very, very small relatively that I don't think it would be hard for me to manage that all on my own, but I don't know at the same time if I'm ready to take on yet another responsibility where, you know, because between streaming and doing the podcast and doing the YouTube, there's already so much here that I'm kind of like overwhelmed. My plate's pretty full. So I'm trying to like really get a grip on all this before I jump onto the next thing. So that's why I'm taking a little slow. That's why I kind of backed off that a bit. But yes, we will absolutely at some point do Discord. I just don't know when or how. That's kind of on me. I need to get the ball rolling a little more on learning what needs to happen for that to really progress. But I do appreciate letting that letting that one, you know, commenting in about that. Now, I will say for the time being, my Twitter is the place. Please follow me. Make me feel affirmed. Make me feel loved. Guys, you've helped me get to the 400-plus follower mark on Twitter. Please help me get further and further so that when people disagree with me on Twitter and think I sound stupid, they can click on my profile and be like, well, at least he has a lot of followers, so I can't hate him that much. And then I'll be like, ha, 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 I'm validated even though I'm objectively wrong. Anyway, lastly, as for video podcasts, I would love to do a video podcast. I think about this all the time. What I, what I think I would like to do the most, actually, I thought about this one. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing this right now, but fuck it because it's still just an, like an early idea in incubation. But I think it'd be fun if I continue to do the podcast exactly as I do now. So Wednesday night, I record the podcast. Thursday morning, the podcast goes live on audio services. But then Thursday night, what I do is I go on Twitch. I play the podcast. So the audio for the stream is just the podcast episode that went live that day. And I don't talk in the mic. It's just me playing a game, whether it's just playing Nazi zombies on, on Call of Duty or playing some Halo multiplayer or working through the campaign on Far Cry 6, whatever the fuck it is I'm playing, you know, Metroid on my Nintendo Switch. I'm just playing a game, having fun, and the audio for the stream is just the podcast episode that went live that day. And then I record that stream and upload that to YouTube, and that would go live on Fridays. So on, so on Thursday, those that just want the audio version can have the audio version. Thursday night, those that want to be there for the Twitch stream can do that. And then Friday the video version of the podcast goes live, which is basically the, the footage from the Twitch stream 
with the audio from the podcast. I thought about that. I'm like, that might be a clever way to do the podcast audio, the Twitch stream, and the and the podcast episode all in one. So I thought about that. That might that might make sense. I'm still tweaking it and thinking about it. If you guys think it's a good idea or have some suggestions, let me know. I'm open to them. But uh, that's kind of where I am with that. It's just, again, it's, it's another thing that's like, oof, that's a whole other commitment. I will say this. The podcast episodes are like an hour and a half to two hours. That's not that big a deal for like compressing into a video file when it's mostly just audio. But the second we throw like an hour and a half of like actual video footage along with that and try to put that in a video file and compress and upload all that, that's going to be a fucking pain in the pain in the ass. It's a lot of work. So a part of me is just like, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to having to take care of that video file anytime soon. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do appreciate you writing in, in, in the uh, interest in even having that. So thank you very much. Now, how many tacos can I eat? Which is the question that's probably naturally on everyone's mind right now. Well, Sam a writes in and says, we should pool some money together and see how many tacos Jesse can actually eat. Because last week I said I could probably do about 25 Taco Bell tacos in one sitting. Sam A. says, I'll throw in five bucks at that kind of quality entertainment. Now, Sam, you are like one of three people who have now told me this past week that you would you would like to see that. I'm not joking. I'm really not joking. I would, I would do a Matt Stoney-style YouTube video where I try to eat 25 Taco Bell tacos in like under, I don't know, 45 minutes, under an hour or something. I'm, I'm up to try this. I'm not, I'm not even joking. Take a couple weeks of training, but yeah. And then finally, our last comment comes from Mr. Headhunting Halo. This comment got deleted by YouTube for some reason, but I found a notification and was able to like backend extract it. So here, here we go. You say, Jesse, there's no way you can sit there and eat 20 to 25 tacos. Are you that much of a fat ass, lol? Also, since you were talking about fat asses, I never said I wasn't a porn star, lol. I do masquerade homemade videos with my wife. Look me up, broccoli cock grenade. Or sorry, cock grand. I, I, I like grenade. Also, if you ignore my Legend of Dragoon question again, I will be Lethal Migraine Jr. Lol. Okay, but seriously, I will come to your house and empty your cat box without you knowing, so she can pee. She can pee deep and poo pa dupe all over your house. So, did you play Legend of Dragoon? Also, Jesse, should I get Hot Wheels Unleashed or Diablo 2? I'm broke, so I can't get both. P.S. I love you, lol. All right, head hunting Halo. I love you too, baby. Now, real quick, how, this is a bad question to ask me because I am like mildly interested in Diablo 2 Remake and I am absurdly interested in Hot Wheels Unleashed. For those of you who were in the stream last Thursday, you know the game came out that day. We streamed it that night. It was fucking awesome. I cannot wait to get back to that game. I'm going to try to finish up Psychonauts 2 before I jump back into it, but boy, oh boy, Hot Wheels Unleashed is good. Get So if you're asking me, a weirdo who prefers Hot Wheels over Diablo. Absolutely Hot Wheels Unleashed over Diablo 2. I think it is so, so fun. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But as for Legend of Dragoon, I, I thought I mentioned this the first time you commented about it, but no, I have never played Legend of Dragoon. I've never played it. I'm very familiar with what it is. I know of Legend of Dragoon. Uh, I think my brother rented this back when when we were kids on the PlayStation 1, but this is not even remotely my type of, uh, my type of game, and I would probably never play this. The, the, I would be more likely to play this if they did a proper remake for like, like ground up remake for PS5 and Xbox Series X, but I would never go back and play this game. And I don't mean to like, you know, talk down on your favorite game of all time, but like, I just, this is just not my kind of game. I like, I'm more likely to give Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation 1 a proper chance before this game. So no, I've never played Legend of Dragoon. I know of it. I'm glad you like it. 
And I, uh, I just, I really don't have much to say on it. I don't, I'm sorry. But that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, and, and, and thoughts, and everything from this week. Remember, for next week, don't be shy. Reply. But now we're going to jump in real quick to what I've been playing. But before I can tell you that, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, we'll make this real quick. Last Friday was Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. It's a huge deal. 50 years of Walt Disney World. This is a big day for me as a massive fan of Walt Disney World. So I took this day off work many, many months ago. I got my park pass reservation many months ago. Very, very excited for this. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time, knowing full well this was going to be a massively exhausting, crazy day. I was going to try to wake up at 5 a.m., get to the Magic Kingdom theme park way before it opens, and be among the first to experience this theme park on its 50th anniversary celebration. I was so excited for it. It was an awesome day. If anyone who knows anything about the Disney theme parks knows that this day was getting a lot of shit because there was a lot of stupid fucking Disney fans out there who want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on stupid fucking merchandise, and they made crowds really bad and went to gift shops and made everything a clusterfuck with all the special anniversary merchandise that came out that day. That's not the day I had at Magic Kingdom. I had a wonderful day at Magic Kingdom because I went to Disney World for the 50th anniversary with the intention of going to that park on the actual 50th anniversary of its opening and just celebrating what that park means to me. So I went there, I ignored all the long, all the crazy crowds and just had a wonderful day. The park, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen because the park was full of mostly Disney fans, not the regular tourist crowd. So it was a very weird day where the park was massively busy, but it was busy in weird places like Lines for popcorn buckets and gift shops and things like that. People just trying to buy special merch. No one was, in, I, I mean no one, was in line for the rides. So once you get past the gift shops and the entrance of the park where it was a clusterfuck and you get into the actual theme park where the rides are, it was actually one of the nicest days I've had at Walt Disney World in a long time. It was just a beautiful day. The weather was beautiful. The The lines for every attraction were super low. My girlfriend and I went there and we just had a wonderful day celebrating this beautiful theme park that we love so very much, riding all the rides with little to no wait time. It was a wonderful day, but that's not food. Theme park's not food. Well, shut up, we're getting there. So along with Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom theme park, Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom theme park, in 1971 on October 1st, the other thing that opened that day, aside from the theme park, was, well, a couple other things, but among them were Disney's Contemporary Resort. It is their awesome re uh, resort hotel that literally has a monorail train that goes through the fucking lobby. It's so goddamn cool. But anyway, it is their most classic resort hotel on property. And in the bottom floor of that resort used to be a restaurant called The Wave. Flavors of, um, what is it called? The Wave Flavors of America? Um, anyway, The Wave was my favorite restaurant at Walt Disney World. It was my favorite table service restaurant at Walt Disney World. That that favorite table service restaurant at Disney World has changed here and there over the years. Every, you know, I'd say every couple of years it's a different restaurant. But for a while now, The Wave has been my favorite restaurant at Walt Disney World. So you can imagine how torn I was over the summer when they announced The Wave will be closing permanently and will be replaced with a brand new restaurant in celebration of the 50th anniversary. So I've been very nervous about this, but on October 1st, they opened a brand new restaurant called Steakhouse 71 in the place of my old favorite restaurant, The Wave. And I had day one reservations to be there. I had to be among the first to dine at this restaurant to find out what did they do with my baby. And guys, 
I've been so nervous. I like you should see my nails. I've been biting them like crazy these past few months. So nervous what they would do with my precious Wave restaurant, and they did it justice. They did a fucking great job. Steakhouse seventy one is still you know Steakhouse seventy one, formerly the Wave, is still to this day the best restaurant, the best reservation table service dining experience on Walt Disney World property. And I, I don't say that lightly because there are so many good restaurants to eat at Disney World. So this restaurant, I'll get the bad out of the way first. They redesigned it inside out. And the new design, don't get me wrong, looks beautiful. They did a great job. It looks very beautiful. A lot of the theming is an homage to the early days of the theme park, uh, of, the, of the resort. Lots of like historical photos of like when they were constructing the, the resort and um, concept art for some of the things on property and things like that. It's really nice. As a Disney fan, it's really cool to see that history kind of um, celebrated in this restaurant. And the, and the decor, the furniture, the tables, the chairs, everything is beautiful. It looks really, really good. It's got like this uh, contemporary circa 1970 kind of aesthetic to it that's just really, really pleasing. It's really good what they did there. But the wave before it, the restaurant that was there before it, also had a phenomenal theme where it like the entrance to this restaurant was a long ass tunnel with like these mechanical like arches and this neon blue like electric ocean blue kind of tunnel that was just so beautiful and alluring and intimate and cool it just invited you in you just wanted to walk in there and be in there and stay in that spot and the colors and the, sh- and the shading and everything extended into the waiting room and the bar and the lounge area and it was so fucking beautiful it was one of my favorite things and they got rid of all that and replaced it with bright, light, modern, empty lighting and stuff. And I was very, very disappointed about it. So the menu had a lot, had a lot of heavy lifting to do to make up for the fact that even though I like the new decor and theming, I don't like it as much as the old one. Well, I got good news for you. They carried over all the best things from the old menu, namely the bacon and eggs, which is a cured, a, a cured pork belly with cheddar grits and a perfect poached egg with a with a with a splash of au jus sauce and it is the greatest appetizer of all time and it remains the greatest appetizer of all time so they kept that along with a couple other staples on the menu they understood if they took these items off the world would riot there would probably no longer be peace in fact xbox might even dissolve as a brand and so in an effort to preserve history and to preserve the order of the world they left this menu item on along with a handful of other items and that was the most important thing they could have done now the menu's changed a lot. The entrees used to be more like, you know, like there's like uh, like California contemporary, like kind of modernish cuisine with like, oh, we got like some twists on like Asian dishes, some twists on like Latin dishes, some American dishes, classic American dishes, things like that. Well, now the entrees are a little less like interesting in the sense of like its cultural representation, but still interesting in the, in the fact that it's like a steakhouse. So like they got, oh, they got like prime rib in this motherfucker. They got like um, all the good sides with the, with the grilled broccolini and the, in the, in the creamed spinach and the mashed potatoes and the, the classic steakhouse onion rings and the, in the, in, you know, the New York strip, the medallions, the filet mignon, they got all the, all the staples of the steakhouse, but all that means nothing if it's not good. I've had a million average steaks in my life, but I have not had a million 10 out of 10 Halo 3 quality steaks. And let me tell you what, this prime rib I had was a Halo 3 prime rib. This is the kind of prime rib that, you know, Halo 3 is 14 years old, and we talk about it all the time because it's still such a great game. This is a prime rib I will be talking about 14 years from now. It is a Halo 3 quality prime rib. Our server was wonderful. The food was wonderful. The whiskey, the the whiskey infused chocolate mousse 
uh, 14 layer cake is literally like fucking stupid good. It's so, so good. Normally, I don't like to talk about the Disney restaurants like this because I realize that most of the audience doesn't live here. And these are one-off restaurants that you can't just stop everything and go to, you know? It's fun to talk about Taco Bell because we all got a Taco Bell within five miles of where we live, right? Well, Steakhouse 71 is a one-off restaurant. You can only have it here at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. So it's very limiting. It's very exclusive in that way. And I don't like that. That's why I usually don't try to talk about these restaurants on the show because I don't want to just brag about this cool place that you can't go to because you don't live here. It's not fun. But... That is how good Steakhouse 71 is. That is how good this prime rib is. This is, again, I'll say it one more time. This is the Halo 3 of restaurants. Instant classic from day one. At some point in your life, you will tell you, you will lie to yourself. You will say, this place is the best restaurant. This place is the best restaurant. Listen, I don't care how many times you try to explain to me that Bioshock or Mass Effect, you know, or fucking Brutal Legends, whatever it is you like, is a better game than Halo 3. You're wrong. Because at the end of the day, Halo 3 is the GOAT. Steakhouse 71's the GOAT. All right, speaking of Halo, here's what I've been playing. Halo Infinite. So I was out of town this weekend. I was at Disney on Friday celebrating the 50th anniversary, and then I flew home to Atlanta to visit my father for his 60th birthday this weekend. So I was with family, and I was unable to play Halo Infinite. Or so I thought. I was able on Saturday afternoon to sneak over to my brother's house for a few hours where he also had the beta set up and ready to go. And we got to play, this is Cronky for those of you who don't know, we got to play a little bit of Halo Infinite Big Team Battle. Now, just to be really honest with you, we were switching the controller off back and forth every game. And so I wasn't like sitting down and playing the game in depth and really like seriously all day. But I played, you know, between the two of us switching the controller back and forth, we probably played an hour to an hour and a half collectively of Halo Infinite's Big Team Battle. So I saw a good amount of it, and I got to play enough to know this is very, very good. As I tweeted out after I played it, I'm not traditionally a big Big Team Battle guy. I know that is a huge staple for a lot of Halo fans. I'm traditionally not that into Big Team Battle. I played a little bit of it in Halo 3, liked it. I played most, the most Big Team Battle I ever played was in Halo Reach for some reason. I liked it a lot back then. And then I played a fair amount of it in Halo 5 and thought it was fine. But traditionally, Big Team Battle is not my specialty when it comes to Halo. This was so good that if this if this big team battle continues to be like what I experienced in my short time getting to play it, I will say this. Big team battle will become more of a regular in the rotation of modes I play on Halo going forward because I had so much fun. I found, you know, with the increased party size, with the increased team sizes and just the sandbox of Halo Infinite and everything, the way the guns and, the, and everything's balanced, I found this to be the most casual, social, pick-up-and-play, super fucking fun Halo Big Team Battle I'd ever experienced. I thought it was just so much fun. Like, this splattering people in these vehicles is so fun. The grappling shot in a big open-world sandbox-type map is so satisfying. Just, like, getting massive kill streaks because you just came across, an am- like, an ambush of fucking enemy enemy teams. It's just, God, so, so good. And the map, the map that was in the game looks like a combination of that Halo 5 um, fi- fire, um, not firefight, um, Warzone map, along with that, what's that Halo 2 map? I, whatever that fucking Halo 2 big team battle map is. But um, it's a beautiful map. Everything played really, really well. I, I just don't want to get into it too much because, again, I didn't play enough of it to really give you nuanced takes. But I did play enough to know I had a lot of fun and I cannot wait for more. I, I've heard a lot of people say this is apparently the last test flight. We don't know how true that is. 
I really hope there is one more, kind of, just because I want a chance to play Big Team Battle. Um, but at the same time, like I said the other week, I, I'm also ready for this to just go away so we can be excited about it. And then on, on December 8th, get the final product. Um, but oh my God, man, it just, the other thing is just following Twitter this weekend and seeing everyone else just have so much fun, seeing all the really wacky, funny videos people were uploading from their experiences playing. This is the Halo. I think a lot of people remember from back in the day. And as someone who loves Halo four and five, I must say there definitely seems to be something in the air that is, is back in Halo that was, was sorely missed over the past 10 years or so while 343 were making Halos 4 and 5. Even though I love those games, I recognize a lot of people don't, and it seems like everyone is back on a similar page, um, one that we haven't we haven't really seen in, in quite some time. So Halo Infinite just has me so excited because I love it. I think it's so much fun. I can't wait to play the final product, but I'm also really enjoying seeing everyone else love it and have fun and also just everyone else be excited about it. The, the overwhelming attitude, unless you're just like a troll who's trying to be an asshole, the overwhelming attitude seems to be Halo Infinite is so, so good. I can't believe it's so, so good. Please, for the love of God, let this campaign be as good as this multiplayer. I can't believe they did it. I can't believe they did it. Halo Infinite is so fucking good. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's so cool. If this, if the, if everything goes smoothly, if the game doesn't have any big breaking bugs at launch, and if the, if the campaign is half as good as this multiplayer, I think Xbox is in for its first massive first-party release. Like that's just gonna win the world over. The likes we haven't really seen since like, I don't know, like Gears Three and Halo Three and all those big Xbox 360 games from back in the day. Like, and no disrespect to the Xbox One, that's one of my favorite generations of consoles ever. But let's let's be honest about how the world perceived and enjoyed Xbox over the past you know generation of games. What wasn't the way people are enjoying Halo Infinite? So I'm just excited to see people enjoying things and being excited. And on top of that, I'm enjoying how good this game is myself. The other game is Hot Wheels Unleashed that came out last week. This is a very very surprisingly good arcade racer. Um, this is a uh, God. What, it's that Italian company Milestone, I believe, is their name. And this is just a really competent arcadey racer that they put out with just incredible visuals, really realistic recreations of the hot wheel die cast really fun maps a really awesome level creator where you can make your own tracks and obstacle courses and then online racing where you can vote to play a actual track from the game or someone can uh, submit one of their tracks that they've custom made and you can race them online it is so good there's so many cars so many features so many good tracks and the gameplay feels surprisingly so tight the drifting is fun the handling on these cars is varied and fun the art and the graphics are really good. The game's polished, well put together. My only gripe is that unlocking cars seems to be a little bit of a challenge. It's a lot of like chance, like whatever's in the rotation. You gotta get in-game currency and then go to the loot box. So you don't actually buy it with real world money, but you do, you are at the mercy of whatever the game's algorithm is currently spitting out for like loot box um, prizes. So getting all the vehicles in the game is a little bit of a chore, but I also don't mind that so much because that's kind of the point of Hot Wheel collecting anyway. It's just going through this monot monotony of just like looking for and scanning for and trying to get the right car and usually not getting it. So in a way that, it, yes, it inflates replay value, but it also is kind of true to the nature of Hot Wheel collecting anyway. But more importantly, I just think the gameplay is so fun. Um, I think this is a great 
$50 kind of under the radar game that most people aren't going to pay attention to, but I think deserves a lot more attention, a lot more press. And it is very, very fun. I will continue to play it. We'll probably stream it a few more times at some point, but Hot Wheels Unleashed, very, very surprisingly good. I cannot wait uh, to get some more of that. And with that out of the way, guys, that is it for all the opening segments. Now that we're an hour and 15 minutes, the opening segments are over. Let's jump into the news proper, of which we have a decent news week to get through. So let's let's get in. All right. So decent news week. This one, this first one here at the top of the show just popped literally like right before I started recording. So I haven't had a real chance to like really dig into it at all. So let's just let's do it together. IGN reports that Gearbox Software have announced that former Chief Technology Officer Steve Jones will now serve as the new president of Gearbox Software following a leadership shuffle. That's right, Gearbox Entertainment co-founder Randy Pitchford will, st- will still serve as CEO and president of Gearbox parent company and shift his focus towards film and TV as the president of the newly formed Gearbox Studios. Basically, the video game development wing of Gearbox responsible for games like Borderlands will now be run by Jones. Meanwhile, Gearbox's parent company, Gearbox Entertainment, which was recently acquired by Embracer Group earlier in the year, will still be overseen by Pitchford. Furthermore, Pitchford will serve as president of a new division called Gearbox Studios, which will oversee the company's film and TV projects, starting with the upcoming Borderlands live-action movie that was recently announced a few months back. In a tweet, Pitchford further explained that he will be responsible for high-level creative and business strategy, while also serving as a hybrid chief creative officer where necessary, meaning Pitchford will still offer guidance on various creative projects at Gearbox. Jones, meanwhile, will lead the production and development activities at Gearbox's game studios and oversee the multiple AAA games currently in development. Gearbox, of course, founded back in 99 and over the years have worked on projects like Half-Life, Brothers in Arms, Duke Nukem, Aliens, and Borderlands under the Randy Pitchford's leadership. An official Borderlands movie was announced earlier in the year, expanding the company's footprint into film. Gearbox is currently developing Tiny Tina's Wonderland, a Borderlands spinoff set in a twisted fantasy tabletop RPG. All right, so this is kind of a big one, but also not a big one. It's it's not like one of those ones where it's like Randy Pitchford was ousted for sexual misconduct or like Randy Pitchford quits because he's tired of games and he just wants to do magic tricks. That's actually not even a joke. He got his start in magic. Anyway, but this is a, uh, this is an interesting one. It, it, I read this as Randy Pitchford is getting older and he wants to experience some new things. This is kind of similar with what's going on over at Sony with, God, what's his name? Neil Druckmann. Neil Druckmann, the guy behind The Last of Us, who's actually working on, like, serving as, like, writer and producer on The Last of Us TV show that HBO's doing. Yeah, HBO's making right now, um, where it's just like, these guys are like, oh, yeah, I've done video games for so long now. I kind of want to, I'm kind of curious about getting into TV. So that's how I'm kind of seeing this is, like, Randy Pitchford is like, hey, I, I love Gearbox. This is my baby. This is my company. This is like where I'm from. But I'm kind of interested in, you know, letting someone else take the reins and getting into something else. So that this is it seems more like one of those happy news stories, right? Where it's like, oh, man, it seems like he wants to get into something else. Try his hand at video uh, at TV and movie production a little more. Um, and also lends a little bit of support to the idea that maybe the Borderlands movie won't be quite as bad because it's got, you know, actual people from the Borderlands team actually putting their hands on this project. I don't know. It seems like there's this weird push right now. Like we're on the precipice with the Sonic movie surprisingly being good and this Mario movie being on the horizon, knowing full well that, you know, Nintendo wouldn't do another Mario movie considering how bad 
the 90s one was if they weren't confident that it was going to be of high quality. And then, of course, The Last of Us getting an HBO TV show and Twisted Metal is apparently getting some kind of TV show and Borderlands is getting a movie and all this stuff. And that's nothing new. We've seen shitty video game TV shows and movies forever, right? Halo is getting a Showtime uh, show right now. That's supposed to be Showtime's like big premiere draw for starting next year. So like a lot's happening here, right? And the difference is, it seems like this time, there seems to be a large emphasis on like getting the right people to work on these things, getting some key talent to work on these things, and people from the games industry actually being interested in taking part in this, which is just something we're not used to seeing. Usually it's something dumb, like some dumbass in Hollywood who doesn't understand dick about video games is making another Hitman game, because why the fuck not? You know, it's usually something like that. But this is, like, I don't know, somewhat legit. It's, like, like the main guy from Gearbox, the name that comes to everyone's mind when you say Gearbox, is going to work on the Borderlands movie and some TV shows and shit, because that's what he wants to go do now instead of video games. It's like, ugh, that's crazy. That's a that's a huge move. Now, him him leaving the, the game division, more or less, in the hands of Steve Jones... Um, that, that one's like less like, Ooh, shocking because at this point it's like, he's been there for so long. I feel like Gearbox has operated more from like the baked in culture that exists there and less so from Randy Pitchford himself. So that one, I'm like less like, Oh wow, that's so crazy. What a massive shakeup. Although that might be the bigger story here and I'm just seeing it wrong. Um, however, because the nature of this, him still being there and serving somewhat, uh, overseeing these projects still a little bit. Uh, I just don't see this as like a, wow, earth-shattering news. I see it more as like a, personally, looks like Randy Pitchford is getting a little older, wants to branch out, try some different things, has spent, you know, over 20 years doing this one thing at this one company and maybe would like to try try his hand at something new. And now he's kind of getting out there and exploring and, you know, trying his hand at some different things. And maybe if it works, he'll continue forward. If it doesn't, he'll go back to the gaming side. But nonetheless, it's just, I don't know, this is, it's just weird to see so many people start to take this like video games have potential in movies and TV show thing really seriously when it's just for so long we've just seen it be so not good for just you know so very long like the Warcraft movie yeah remember the Warcraft movie remember the Ratchet and Clank movie but then you got like the good ones apparently like the Sonic movie and um what's the other one that recently happened that was like surprisingly not terrible I'm forgetting uh anyway but yeah so this is a whole thing. Uh, I mean, congrats to Randy. Wishing him all the best luck. Obviously, at Gearbox, we know they're working on a new Brothers in Arms game. We know this this Tiny Tina's Wonderland Borderlands spinoff is just about ready to go. So they're probably working on new projects anyway, which makes this an ideal time to transition with leadership. Uh, you know, if you're moving on to new projects, especially if you're going to be working outside of your mainstay IP like Borderlands, which may or may not be the case. So that's the first story here. Our second story, our original first story, coming from VGC. Ubisoft have announced Ghost Recon Frontline for consoles and PC. The title, which has been in the works for three years at Ubisoft, uh, at Ubisoft, will be available for PC, Xbox One, Series X, and S, and will be cross-play between all platforms. Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Frontline is a free-to-play ta- uh, tactical action massive PvP shooter grounded in the renowned Ghost Recon universe, reads the product description on the game's official website. The game features an advanced class system with large sets of tactical support and tools that allow for complete freedom and strategic strategic gameplay with multiple ways to outsmart enemy teams and win every fight. According to a press release, the company accompanying today's accompanying the announcement, Ghost Recon 
Frontline will offer a new take on the Battle Royale genre, featuring more than 100 players. In teams of three, these squads will have to work together to complete dynamic objectives across the massive open map with no converging circle. So this is an interesting one. This is one of those um, immediately the internet kind of blew up and, and pissed all over this game and absolutely hated it. I, on the other hand, even though I'm tired of the Battle Royale thing and clearly Ubisoft is desperate to get in there with like, man, I don't remember. They did the, what is it? The Zero Scape or the Ocean Scape or whatever that fucking one was like two years ago that no one ever talks about anymore. Remember that one? Yeah, Hyperscape, Hyperspace, whatever it was. And then they announced that other one that was announced like a few days ago or a few week, months ago. And it was like the Call of Duty looking shooter. I guess that one's not a Battle Royale. That one's just a free-to-play shooter, I suppose. But they've announced a handful of these kinds of initiatives lately. They're, they're really, really eager to find one that sticks. They want more Rainbow Six um, Siege type games where it persists and has a player base and people continue to pay money and buy shit and it just generates money, 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 money. Ubisoft wants that very badly. And this game was clearly born from that. But at the same time, I, as someone with very little experience in the Ghost Recon franchise, I must say this to me kind of looks more like the Ghost Recon I'm familiar with seeing more so than the Ghost Recon we've had in recent years with Breakpoint and Wildlands. Now, I think Wildlands is probably the only Ghost Recon I ever actually fucking played. So so I can't really speak to the classics, but my, my remembrance of Ghost Recon is that it was a first-person tactical shooter and that with games like Wildlands and Breakpoint, they got away from the Ghost Recon formula. If anything, those were the weird Ghost Recon games because it was basically like they far cried ghost recon when that's not what the series was about and this seems more like you know despite trying to be an approach to the battle royale genre and the free-to-play market this seems like at least in spirit to be more in line with what classic ghost recon was so i don't understand why people are so up in arms about how quote-unquote quote bad it looks when to me i'm like this looks like ghost recon like i'm looking at the trailer it's like yeah sure it's some unique twist on Battle Royale. They, they, you know, it's not going to be like Fortnite and Warzone. It's going to be pretty unique and try to switch up the formula a lot. But like, I'm looking at it, and it's like, yeah, it looks looks like a Battle Royale game, but it also looks more like the Ghost Recon I thought I knew than what we saw a few years back with these checkbox Assassin's Creed Far Cry open world Ghost Recon type games that we were getting. So, not really sure what's going on there with the kind of audience reception to this game. I know there's, it's one of those like, hey, let's downvote the announcement trailer to hell and back just to make a statement kind of games. But I don't know. I see this trailer and I'm like, I'm not particularly excited for or interested in this game. Like, this isn't anything I'm clamoring for, but hey, it's free to play. I'll probably give it a try. And it doesn't look bad just because it doesn't look like, you know, Halo Infinite or Hot Wheels Unleashed doesn't mean. It doesn't look good for what it is. Like I, hell, I'll give this a try. I don't, I don't, I don't think it looks bad by any means. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay with this because I think Ubisoft has just gotten so fucking stale that I almost kind of invite this new Ubisoft we're seeing unfold over this past year, which is this whole like we're really trying to get into this free to play market, this multiplayer market, this battle royale market. Because if you remember, the Ubisoft we've had for the past decade or so has just been like hey, we're making Far Cry 3 again and again 
and Assassin's Creed is Far Cry, and Far Cry is Far Cry, and Ghost Recon is Far Cry, and everything's a fucking Far Cry game at this point, and I'm tired of it. So even if these aren't necessarily my types of games, you know, what they're doing with like Ghost Recon Frontline and Hellscape or whatever that game was called, at least they're doing something different, you know, at least, oh my God, it's not Far Cry, you know, this week Far Cry 6 comes out. And I want to be excited about that game. It looks visually amazing. It looks like such a beautiful game. And I have no doubt that it's not, you know, I have no doubt it's a fun game. You know, I'm sure it's a very fun game, like every Far Cry. But it looks painfully like every Far Cry I've ever played, down to the point where it's like, God, it looks like it's beat for beat a similar game I've played. Like, like you could just change the skin to Far Cry 4 or 5 or 3 or whatever, and you'd be basically playing the same fucking game. So in a world where that's the Ubisoft we're really accustomed to, I'm open to them trying new things and, and getting out of their getting out of their uh, wheelhouse. Or um, Because at this point, you know, it's like, well, what do you want? Another Far Cry game or them to try their hand at mixing up the battle royale genre because at least in this case it looks like they're doing something different with battle royale rather than just making far cry but with the ghost recon logo on it so i don't have any gripe with this i personally think there's potential for this thing to be a thing it looks at least in to to a layman like myself someone who's inexperienced with the franchise it looks more in the spirit of Ghost Recon than the ones we've seen in recent history. So that's kind of my two cents on it. We'll see uh, more and more soon. I'm sure this game will be too far from releasing. But man, calm down, guys. Like, you don't have to love everything that every game becomes. But like, Ghost Recon isn't necessarily a game that's had such a strong identity as one specific thing. So the fact that they're switching it up again, like, chill out. And it shouldn't even be surprising because we knew... The last Breakpoint, the last Ghost Recon game, severely underperformed when it came out, which scared the shit out of Ubisoft because Wildlands, the one that came out right before that, did tremendously well. So they were completely caught off guard with how poorly it did, and uh, they're not looking to recreate that. So they got to try something new, and I don't, I don't hate this approach, man. I don't know. Now... Next story here from VGC reports that AMD, the manufacturer behind the CPUs and GPUs of the the, uh, current consoles, Xbox Series X and S, as well as PlayStation 5, have announced that they expect chip supply issues to gradually improve in the second half of 2022, meaning that we still have about another year of this, at least. Speaking Speaking at the Code Conference in California on Monday via CNBC, AMD CEO Lisa Su said chip supplies for the first half of next year will be likely tight. However, she expects this global shortage to be less severe in the second half of the year as new manufacturer plants start to bear fruit. She said, quote, it may it may take, you know, 18, 24 months uh, to put that new plant in. And in some cases, take even longer than that. These investments were started perhaps a year ago. So you got to wait a little bit. I had that last part. Console manufacturers have struggled with the uh, stock shortages over the past 18 months because of COVID-19, of course, with the shutdown, which eventually, uh, which essentially um, fucked up supply chains and saw demands across the game devices increase significantly as countries implemented social distancing measures. Now, last week, Xbox Phil Spencer, boss boy, said that the current console supply issue will continue into the next year, 2022, but he told The Wrap in an interview that a a shortage of chips wasn't the only thing stopping Microsoft from getting as many Series X and X consoles onto store shelves as they would have liked. So, this is one of those stories it's like I'm kind of tired of talking about, but this is also kind of like an interesting update because I think last year around this time, most people were guessing and saying, oh, by this time next year, it should be pretty good, right? 
that's kind of what the general wisdom was. Like, oh yeah, Xbox uh, Series X and S, PS5, these consoles might be hard to get at first, like they usually are, and they might be a little harder to get for a little bit longer period of time than they usually are. But, you know, by the end of the summer or so, this should be not too much of an issue. Well, here we are heading into the fall, or I guess it's the fall now. And yeah, these things are still hard as shit to find. Like, I got a notification this morning that, like, Xbox Series X had just gone um, in stock at, I think it was uh, Best Buy or Amazon. I immediately clicked on that shit because I was like, fuck yeah, like, I'm not going to buy one, but I just want to see, I just want to click on this link and see Add to Cart available because I never see it. I was like, let me just see if I could even hypothetically buy one if I were in the market. And I clicked on it and, man, I got the notification like maybe 30 seconds late and boom, it was already sold out. I'm like, the fact that I can be notified on my phone, hey, Series X is back in stock and 30 seconds can go by and then I click the link and it's sold out tells you there's still an absurdly high amount of demand for this box. And I mean, obviously, they're probably not getting as big of shipments as they would like, but God damn it, Series X is almost a full year old. It's 11 months old at this point. Like, we still can't get these at a reasonable clip. Like, this is, uh, this is more than we initially thought. And I guess the point I'm just trying to make is, remember what we were saying last year about this year? We thought by now things would be better. Who knows? You know, they're saying the second half of next year. I truly believe next year, like personally, I truly do believe next year it will get significantly better, especially by this time next year. So I'm not trying to like conspiratorial, like I'm not trying to start like some conspiracy theory here or anything, but at the same time, I can't help but think like, take it with a grain of salt. It might still be bad. In another 18 to 24 months, despite, you know, what our expectation is as of now, we don't know what kind of hiccups could interfere with ship production at these new plants that are not quite open yet. So I don't know, man, I, I feel bad at this point because, you know, I got I got lucky. I was able to get my Xbox Series X and I would like to buy a Series S, get another one of these things, you know, but I, I've told myself, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll, you know, maybe in another year or so. So I'm good. But like, there are so many people out there who can't get their fucking Xbox, and I just feel so bad about it because it's like, dude, it's been on the market for almost a full goddamn year. Like, we're, we're getting to the point where it's like, yeah, I mean, you can play Halo Infinite on an Xbox One if you want, but, like, it doesn't look and run as good. It's not a, a full experience. Like, you should be able to have the Series S or the Series X if you really want it, and it just shouldn't. At this point, it's like, oh, yikes, man. How is How are we at the point now where we have to start promoting and marketing all these new games for these new consoles, but we don't even have the consoles to sell? It's a shitty proposition, and it's a shitty situation for everyone, but I just feel bad for the people who genuinely want these consoles and still haven't even had the opportunity to get one of them. Now, I do think it's not impossible if you really are... The, like, I like to, if I didn't get a Series X at launch, I like to think I would have been so obsessive over getting one that I would have probably had one by now. But I don't know. That's not a guarantee because there have been a handful of times I've seen on like Twitter or just some notification like, oh, PS5 is in stock. Xbox Series X is on stock in, in stock and just nope, never. Now, I will say there's one time where I it, someone was like, oh, Xbox Series S is in stock. And I was like, oh, OK, there it is. I opened it up. I'm like, yep, there it is. Series S. So I have seen Series S from time to time ease up and be available. I still never seen any of these consoles in stores, but I've seen Series S once or twice pop up. Um, online, so it's not entirely impossible, but fuck, especially if you're going for the Series X or the PS5, like, good luck. Anyway, next, VGC reports that Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick has a appeared to suggest that Xbox Game Pass now have somewhere around 30 million subscribers. Past Wednesday, Zelnick and Xbox Phil Spencer joined the wrap for a live discussion about the rise and the future of the games industry. During the exchange, Zelnick said to Spencer, 
you've got almost 30, you've got about 30 million subscribers, something like that, right? Phil Spencer then did not, didn't deny that was the case, only saying the last public number we announced was 18 million. It was unclear from the exchange if Zelnick had inadvertently revealed a Microsoft secret, was being playful about the success of the service, or simply pulling all pulling a number out of his pocket that could be a wide that could be wide of the mark. VGC has reached out to Microsoft for comment on the story. Now both Grand Theft Auto Five and Red Dead Redemption Two have appeared on Game Pass, and as and as the boss of Rockstar's parent company, 2K, subscriber subscribers numbers feel like data Zelnick would probably be pervy to. But given the Xbox Game Pass, given the fact that Game Pass launched in June of 2017 and had attracted 18 million subscribers as of January 2021, the suggestion is that it has gained another 12 million subscribers this far in just this year. Personally, I don't believe this one. I've seen this one floating around a lot. Now, a lot of people are saying, no, it's closer to like 20-something million, you know, 20 million, whatever. I can believe 20 million. 30 million I find hard to believe. I, I think maybe maybe they're at like 22, 23 million. And I don't know, maybe something like Halo Infinite, if it is if it is successful the way people are expecting it to be now that the beta has been so good, I think there's a chance that we see Game Pass numbers skyrocket and, and go up to like 25, 27,000 or sorry, 27 million, you know, by like January, February, possibly. And that is coming from someone with a very small brain who does not understand how this works whatsoever. But that is my speculation. Um, is that they're definitely not 30 million, that this is definitely a slip up or a guesstimation or something. Now, the reason why I can't just say that and be done with it, because it's really all I have to say on it otherwise, is because, again, this is this is the CEO of Take Two. This is the guy, the head honcho, the guy that runs it all. He would be laser focused on these kinds of numbers and this kind of data if you were running a company like Take Two, the publisher of Rockstar, which is the guys that make Grand Theft Auto. Remember, as the article mentions, both Red Dead Redemption 2 and Grand Theft Auto 5 have been in Game Pass this year. And so there's a good chance that people like him have been, you know, pervy to in some way, form or fashion to that kind of data, whether it was directly or whether it was something that they were able to extrapolate based off of data that they had on how their game was performing on these services. So it's not entirely implausible to think that maybe, maybe the, maybe this subscription service does have 30 million view uh, subscribers or close to it, or maybe he meant to say 20 and slipped and said 30. I don't know. But the fact that, you know, if, if we're supposed to take this literal, we're supposed to believe that game pass has, earned 12 million subscribers this year alone considering this was a year where so far no big games have come to xbox series x people have gone back to the office away from social distancing away from working from home because things have normalized somewhat with the access to the vaccine and all that stuff so you would expect with that information a decrease from like the hungry increase in player base we saw last year at the start of the pandemic but no it the counter to that is that we've seen a, a consistently strong hold in the market um, from that initial uptake that was people uh, being furloughed or people being working from home or people being, you know, quarantined or whatever from COVID and that uptick in gaming we saw. So it's this whole mess of like, wouldn't last year's numbers have been more impressive than this year's numbers given COVID, but also maybe those numbers just stayed and I grew even further and then the new consoles helped with it. 
Who the fuck knows? It's really hard to tell, but I find it hard to believe that they nearly doubled their subscription number in like nine months. Because of what? A brand new console on the market that a lot of people can't get their hands on and a total of like zero exclusive new games? What what would have gotten people to subscribe like that? Like Flight Simulator? No. So, I don't know. Unless Red Dead Redemption 2 and Grand Theft Auto 5 really pulled that that many players you know like that many subscriptions which i just absolutely doubt then i don't see how this could be the case you know sure games like outriders help and now that we got you know halo infinite on the way and forza horizon 5 on the way and marvel's avengers just came in all that stuff these things help but jumping from 17 to 30 million i don't i don't i really don't think so so i think this was either a slip up or a miscalculation uh because there's just no way and if the number were 30 million, I think Xbox would be more eager to talk about that. Not not here. Maybe this isn't the venue. Maybe, you know, Xbox wants to save that for a different moment. But I think if they hit 30 million, they would have wanted to share that. Because remember, X, Microsoft just had a shareholder meeting not that long ago. They didn't they didn't say that Game Pass had 30 million subscribers. If that were the truth, I think they would have said that, right? So I don't know, man. This is um, this is the side of the business where it's like, I'm too stupid to really give you thorough analysis on this, but I'll try my best. And just my, my gut check says this number is wrong. I'm not quite sure how. I'm not quite sure where this number came from, but I don't I don't buy 30 million. I, I, I can get behind 20 to 23, you know, by the end of the year, but I can't get behind 30. I just I just don't see how that's possible. All right, and our penultimate story here, again, from VGC, reads that Arcane Lion studio head, Romuald Romuald Capron, has left the company after almost 17 years. Capron joined the development the developer as chief operating officer and production director in January of 2005 before also being appointed studio head in 2019. He stepped down last week shortly after the launch of the studio's latest game, the critically acclaimed Deathloop, and seven months seven months after Arcane's parent company, Zenimax, was acquired by Microsoft. In a LinkedIn update, Capron said that he had taken a very hard decision to leave Arcane as he felt that he needed to try something new, also to spend more time with his family. He said, quote, I'm very proud of what we accomplished at this amazing team. The successful launch of Deathloop is just another proof that Arcane is a very bright future and a unique place in our industry. I'm letting the studio, I'm leaving the studio, I'm letting the studio in very good hands under the leadership of game director and co-creative director Dinga Bakaba, art director and co-creative director, Sebastian Mitten, technical director, and Hugues Tardif, an executive producer, sorry for the butchering of these names, very European, Morgan Barb, who I'm sure will keep pushing ambition and innovation in products and projects. And as for my own future, my goal is to keep on helping video game companies and others to make their creative visions become a reality, since that's what I love to do. So stay tuned. So all that tells us, especially that last little excerpt there, what that tells us is I'm not leaving the games industry. I'm going to head up another studio buy so i'm sorry but i can't help but read this in any way other than microsoft bought zenimax and this guy said as soon as this project is out as soon as this contract is up to get this game out the door i'm out i'm leaving and now that death loop is out and gone he's gone i'm sorry but the timing of like death loop went out and then he left you know 
with everything that's going on, this reads to me as nothing more than like he wanted to get out. And the crazy thing is we know Xbox is very adamant on like, hey, this whole Bethesda Zenimax thing isn't going to work unless we kind of let them just be themselves and do their thing. We can't do what we did with Bungie back in the day, micromanage them, move them around, tell them how to do everything and drive them away from us. That's not going to yield proper results. So their attitude with Bethesda and all their game studios was basically just like, leave them alone, let them do their thing, check up every now and then, be pretty hands off. So with that, with those two things known, it almost makes me wonder why he would want to leave. Now, he probably didn't get any direct money as a result from this acquisition. So it is almost just like, well, what did you get out of, you know, leaving at this point? It's not like you're not like Pete Hines or, or someone like that who probably made out like a fucking bandit from this acquisition. Like you, you probably weren't too affected pay wise. So what is the incentive to leaving? You know? Um, but clearly there's a a desire and a drive from here to go on and do this somewhere else, which means for whatever reason he wanted to get away. Maybe it is just coincidental timing. I think this has everything to do with Xbox. I think this is, we were acquired. Things are changing. I want to get the fuck out of here. My game's done. My contract is up. Everything's set in stone. We're good. Okay, bye. I'm out. And maybe, maybe he's going to go form an indie studio. Maybe he's going to go work for PlayStation. I don't, I don't know. But there was, this, this reads to me like nothing other than there was a deliberate effort to get away from this deal as soon as he could contractually do so. And course wishing the best and wherever he goes next but this is a core talent member to a core team at bethesda now i'm not personally worried about what this means with him gone but at the same time it's not necessarily super great news for arcane in particular although again like i was saying earlier this is one of those like they're in transition now you know death loops out the door whatever they work on next probably isn't death loop too so it's pretty possible that he leaves at a time where the studio's heading in a new direction and the appropriate staff is there to hand the, the reins over to and say, hey, now it's yours. You guys go reinvent the wheel and do something crazy without me. Um, and, and he's peacing out. So I think that's very likely what we're seeing happen in, in action here. So, of course, all the best to Mr. Capron, a very French man. And let's wrap up the news with the new Game Pass releases that are coming soon or are leaving soon. Xbox Wire posts that coming soon we have the procession of Calvary coming to Cloud Console and PC the day this show goes live. Also the day this show goes live, Visage is on Cloud Console and PC. On October 12th, we got Back for Blood, Cloud Console and PC. Of course, can't wait for that. And Destiny 2 Beyond Light coming to PC. We got Ring of Pain coming to Cloud Console and PC on October 14th. Also on that day, we've got the Rift Breaker, Cloud Console and PC, Series X and S. The Good Life comes October 15th on Cloud Console and PC. This is an ID at Xbox game. And then we have a few games leaving Game Pass. So, Goner 2 on October 15th will be leaving Cloud Console and PC. Heave Ho on PC. Katana Zero is leaving Cloud Console and PC. Always meant to try that game. Scourge Bringer. Leaving Cloud Console and PC, Tales of Vesperia leaving Console and PC, and The Swords of Ditto leaving PC. So if any of those games are interesting to you, make sure you give them a try before they're gone. Don't be like me. Don't not try Katana Zero just because you're overwhelmed with other things. You'll regret it when you're in your 50s. 
Now, that's going to do it for all of our news, you guys. Now let's jump in real quick to the important enough stories, news important enough to make the podcast, not important enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we have a handful. Gamesindustry.biz reports that Blake Jorgensen is stepping down as the chief financial officer and chief operating officer of EA. The company announced this this week in their SEC filing. Lots of important people stepping down. Jorgensen has been with the publisher for almost a decade and will begin transitioning away from the role with a financial departure expected for summer of next year. EA Chief Studio Officer Lauren Meal will take over Jorgensen's duties as COO while the company begins an external and internal search for its next CFO. Additionally, EA's Executive VP of Marketing, Commercial, and Positive Play, Chris Baruzzo, has become the company's Chief Experience Officer. Next, Windows Central and VGC report that promotional material for uh, an upcoming 512-gigabyte Seagate expansion card for Xbox Series X and S has reportedly been spotted online. The Windows Central report said that it had been shown in promotional materials that have started arriving to U.S. retailers, suggesting an official reveal may be as early as the next week or two. The materials include empty boxes advertising 512-gigabyte gig, uh, versions of Seagate's Xbox storage expansion card with the message saying, coming soon, probably would retail for around 100 110 bucks given, you know, roughly half the price of the terabyte card. Now, next, VGC reports that EA has upgraded the digital standard edition of Battlefield 2042 for Xbox Series X and S, which means the last-gen version is now included in the next-gen version. So if you buy the Series X version of the game, you will still get the one version of the game. The cross-gen bundle feature will also offer players digital access to Battlefield 2042, despite previously being restricted to the pricier gold and ultimate editions of the game. Next, Windows Central reports that Wastelands 3's, Wasteland 3's final story-based DLC expansion, Cult of Holy Detonation, has arrived on Xbox One and series consoles, as well as PC. To mark the release, the Colorado Collection will have an additional 30% discount on the Microsoft Store, as well as Steam, for a limited time at launch. Next, VGC reports that Activision has detailed Call of Duty Black Ops and Warzone Season 6. Scheduled to launch October 7th, the day the show goes live, it will include a new Warzone map update, as well as a trio of new multiplayer maps, a new Zombies map, plus a Halloween event. Windows Central reports that both Minecraft Dungeons and Minecraft have announced their own respective Halloween celebrations, known as Minecraft Spooky Fest and Minecraft Dungeons Spookier Fall. Spooky Fest adds two new Minecraft Dungeons-inspired character creator items to the marketplace and a new free skin pack. Spookier Fall will offer unique rewards and challenges to Minecraft Dungeons, but we don't have any details yet. Next, Nintendo announced during their Super Smash Bros. Direct this past week that both Steve and Alex from Minecraft will be getting Amiibo figures, which will undoubtedly make Amiibo collectors uh, go nuts, buy them all, and then make it impossible to find online. They are slated to release sometime in the spring of 2022. Um, that is for the Steve Amiibo. The Alex Amiibo does not have a date at this time. Gamesindustry.biz reports that Capcom shared that they intend for the PC to now become their main platform for software. According to a Bloomberg report, Takashi Mochizuki's English recap of a Japanese language Nikkei report, Capcom president and COO Hari. Haruhiro Sujimoto told the outlet that at the Tokyo Game Show that it wants the PC to eventually become its primary platform. So the publisher wants additionally the publisher wants to have sales from PC games equal to that of their home consoles within two years. With that goal in mind, the company is focused on the Nintendo Switch exclusive Monster Hunter Rise 
and said that it is coming to PC in January of next year. And our penultimate final story is Microsoft have announced, and this is from Windows Central, in a new blog post that Halo developer 343 Industries have patented, have, sorry, have partnered with Rockstar Energy to release five Halo Infinite themed limited edition versions of the various Rockstar Energy drinks that feature original art pieces of artwork from the five different artists around the world. Each can from five different artists, not the five. There's more than five artists in the world. Each can also has a code that fans can use to unlock Nocturne Star skins for the MA-40, Assault Rifle, Warthog, and Razorback in Halo Infinite, as well as the Rockstar-themed emblem and nameplate. In addition to customization items, the code will also unlock extra in-game experiences and challenge swaps that players can use when leveling their battle pass. And I just want to remind people, last year when Halo Infinite was supposed to come out, they had a similar promotion, but it was for Monster Energy, so fuck you, Monster. And then finally, GameSpot reports that Adidas has announced Xbox Sneakers, that's right. As part of the Xbox 20th anniversary celebration, the company has announced a partnership with Adidas to create a new line of sneakers inspired by Xbox. They look kind of cool. It's a big homage to the OG Xbox. There's no release date. There's no pricing information. You just got to follow them for more information. But goddamn, they actually look pretty cool. And I can't believe I'm actually saying that. But yep, that is going to do it for everything this week, you guys. Real quick, we won't go over all the games coming out this week because there are a lot of them. But there are a couple notable ones, so I'll just point them out real quick. This week... Alan Wake Remastered. It's out now. It's a smart delivery title. You might want to check that out. It's only 30 bucks. Hell Let Loose is out now. It's a Series X and S optimized title. People seem to be really into this game, although I'm not very familiar with it. It's an RTS metagame shooter thing, which I don't know much about. Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl is out now, and people seem to be really into that for whatever reason. Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania is out on October 5th, which is now and it's available for Series X and S via smart delivery. I actually want to play that game. Far Cry 6 is available the day the show goes live, October 7th. It's optimized for the new consoles, and yes, it's more Far Cry. And that is it for all the big notable games. Guys, lastly, Games with Gold as a reminder for the month of October, you've got Arrow available all month, Hover available from October 16th to November 15th, so not quite yet, Castlevania Harmony of Despair available until the 15th, so download it soon, and Resident Evil code veronica x available october 16th through the 31st so not quite yet but that is it for everything this week guys we're hitting a two-hour episode i don't know how that happened this wasn't you know i guess i got a little too excited about steakhouse 71 apologies there but thank you as always for listening to xbox on it is a weekly podcast i put a lot of love and work into i hope you guys enjoy it please follow me on twitter at jesse derosa for updates on the podcast updates on the stream suggestions comments interactions it really means a lot more important than that hit subscribe on youtube we're trying to hit a thousand please 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 hit that subscribe button so we can continue to grow this channel and spread the good word of xbox on and for those of you who have twitch access both follow me on twitch and youtube at lightning extreme for awesome twitch streams on mondays and thursdays as well as the occasional fun youtube video guys we're trying to make it happen. I'm going to be a content creator. Before you know it, there's going to be a whole a whole Twitch leak, and you're going to be like, wow, Jesse makes that much money off of Twitch? Yes, $0.00. Thank you for bragging. But anyway, guys, hit those follow buttons. Hit those subscribe buttons. Share these things. Follow these things. Whatever you got to do, do it all, because I need you. Only you can help me get to where I want to be. But until then, until I'm there, I'm going to go to bed, because when I go to bed, I dream. And uh, power your dreams. It's a terrible fucking transition. Power your dreams. Open your eyes. I got